to bear before the nations thy true light as of old. That, for the most part, is what this letter is all about. That as a church in 2018, we bear that true light as of old, unchanged, undiminished, enduring on. But there will always be difficulties in local churches. There are some men who actually get employed full-time to help churches who are in trouble, to help pastors and elders who are at their wit's end, dejected and discouraged for all manner of reasons. Uh, one of the issues that the early church had to constantly deal with, one of the issues that churches of every age will all ha always have to deal with is the issue of false teaching. And so this next little portion of the opening chapter of Paul's letter to Titus is about dealing with false teachers because they are rampant on the island of Crete. One of the, aspect, one of the aspects of Christ's earthly life and ministry which in many ways is often overlooked, is the very strong and even, you might say, aggressive stance that he took against those who were leading people astray in matters of religion. Sharp words, really sharp words of rebuke were spoken by Christ against the Pharisees. And the image of him brandishing a whip overturning tables in the temple courtyard and driving the people out doesn't sit very well alongside his gentle Jesus, meek and mild image, which is what some people only ever wish to portray about the Lord Jesus Christ. There was rather more to him than that. And in the church where... Topics of love and compassion and grace are quite rightly given great prominence. It may appear to be completely at odds with all of that for those within the church to even dare to speak words of open rebuke or to contradict. But it isn't at all at odds. And it's very clear in the scriptures that all of these things made up Christ's own ministry. And all of these things are a necessary part of those who would lead the church, as we saw very clearly this morning in all that the Bible has to say about church eldership and those who under Christ are appointed to lead and guide local churches. Being a church isn't about being all warm and cuddly with everyone without discrimination. It isn't. Church isn't about accepting anyone who says they love Jesus and just seems to have good motives. The church of Christ requires far more rigorous assessment and evaluation than that. We're not to be so naive. Sadly, many churches are. 
We read from Acts chapter 20 this morning, and there's a, a glorious little section there where the Apostle Paul is addressing the Ephesian elders. And that's where they're warned by Paul about those ravenous wolves. And they are just waiting to come in amongst the Lord's people and just rip them to shreds. Peter was also only too aware of the grave dangers which threatened the Lord's people. And uh, in the second of his letters that are recorded in the Bible for us, uh, the whole of the second chapter of that letter is about false teachers. Uh, this is how Peter opens that chapter. Uh, of course, it wasn't actually a chapter when he wrote it, but it is for us. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber. We're just so reckless if we ignore those kinds of warnings in the scripture. They never happen to us. They don't happen today. Oh yes they do and oh yes they could we need to remain so, so diligent. Well, the scriptures very helpfully give us a lot of important things that we need to know about such false teachers. I want to consider some of the things that from Titus become very evident to us. First of all, false teachers, their location. Their location. Christians are tempted to focus upon things that are external to the church as being the greatest threat to the church. It's all that stuff that's going on out there that is the greatest threat to the church. That is simply not true. History shows, from the Bible onwards, that when clear and obvious external threats come upon the Lord's people, that is often when believers become most assured in their faith. They have nowhere else to turn but to the Lord. Now that's not unanimously true, but it often is true. Those types of trials that come from outside, they often really are a refining fire for the Lord's people. It purifies them. It strengthens them in faith. It strengthens their resolve. They look to God and he keeps them and he proves himself to them. And they go on. And in fact, sometimes when those external pressures are really fierce, they are the times when the church actually grows. Because it's then that the genuineness of believers' faith is most clearly seen. These really are the Lord's people. And people can actually be, be attracted 
by the genuineness of the faith that they see in Christ's church as they face up to those afflictions with grace. It's not a natural thing to love your enemies and bless those who curse you. You need the Spirit of God to be able to do that. And people can see the, the genuineness of the faith in the Lord's people. Very often, when it's those external trials that press in upon the church. Now, the greatest dangers that churches face will typically come from within the church. And the best defence that a church has is a strong leadership under Christ. I remember one occasion, vividly, so does Debbie, many years ago. We were young youth leaders. We were a little bit wet behind the ear, naive youth leaders looking back. People came into the church we attended on one occasion at a youth meeting. And in a single evening, they caused considerable spiritual damage and upset. It was a visiting group, not members of our own church. But they'd been invited in, so in that sense, they were there legitimately. They'd been brought in. The reality was, they should never have been allowed anywhere near us, but they were. They should never have been allowed to cross the doorstep of the church, let alone lead a youth meeting that night, but they were. Either there was no one who knew any better to say no, or there was no one who had the stomach to say no. But someone should have said no. No one did. And that evening is indelibly etched on my mind and on Debbie's. It wasn't good. Under God's grace, it did not do irreparable damage, but it caused damage. Sometimes, sometimes often, and I've seen this too, it's people who've come into the church, they've, they've joined the fellowship. Too few questions are asked about them. Too much is just taken at face value concerning them. And they're given a platform within the church, sometimes literally the platform, but they're given a platform that they should never have been given. And before you know it, they become quite popular. People like them. And if they suggest some new ideas, those who like them encourage them. Uh, those who like them encourage everybody else to accept their ideas and little by little, their influence takes hold. And ever so gradually, ever so gradually, the church begins to... What was that word in the first verse of Hebrews chapter 2? 
Ah, yes. Little by little, the church begins to drift. And no one notices. And the drift doesn't stop. The location of most false teachers, the greatest danger that the churches face is within the church. I'm sure Titus already knows that. He's, as we've seen, he's quite experienced already, even though he's comparatively young compared to Paul. He's been round the block a few times as Titus. He's seen these things. But Paul just reminds him. Peter reminds us. They creep in, you see. They become among you. For the most part. Be careful. Be careful. So false teachers, their location... For the most part, you'll find them in local churches and they creep in. Uh, and that's the case here in Titus. Uh, these, are, these are people in the churches in Titus. Verse 13, therefore rebuke them sharply that they may be sound in the faith. They're currently not sound in the faith, but that they may be sound in the faith. These, these are People who are professing to be believers in the churches. They're not outsiders in that sense. And so we need to take care because of the location where most false teachers will be found. The second thing that we see in this letter about false teachers is their method. Their method. Verse 10 insubordinate insubordinate now if you're a soldier in the army and you are insubordinate you will be moved so fast by your officers that your feet won't touch the ground insubordination has no place in the army you do as you're told you do what's expected of you you do as your commanding officers tell you Insubordinate, what does that mean? It means they reject authority. They reject the rule of others. They're the ones who do their own thing. Thank you very much. They're disrespectful of those who are governing the church. Now, of course, the problem on Crete is that the churches didn't even have elders. But in churches where there are elders, those who are insubordinate, they disrespect that position of those men. They disrespect that authority that those men have. They don't put themselves under the eldership of the church. And they're convinced that they're, they're here to impose their own views and ideas. That's what false teachers are like. Uh, we might use the phrase loose cannons. They assume for themselves an authority that they do not have. It's a self-assumed authority. They speak as if they have authority. They speak as if they expect others to listen and take note of what they're saying and actually follow them. They're described as being idle talkers and deceivers. 
They're idle talkers, but my word, some of them really can talk. <laughs> Smooth talkers. Persuasive talkers. Talkers who clearly enjoy the platform they've been given or the platform that they take for themselves. But wow, they can talk. And on the island of Crete, mention is made, as we've seen, about the, this disposition that many of the people on this island seem to have. Um, this cultural aspect of uh, Cretans that seems to make them, make them particularly susceptible to the particular false teachers who've come in amongst them. And of course, we do have one who is an enemy of our souls. We do have one, as Paul warned the Ephesian elders, who is waiting to come in as a wolf and to seek whom he may devour. And Satan is no fool. He, he knows his tactics very well. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our weak points. He knows our vulnerabilities. And he'll use them if he's able to. And that's what he's doing on the island of Crete. They have their own particular dispositions. It seems as if these false teachers are, are really aiming at all of those things. We, even within the British Isles, we, we have cultural things that, uh, that we're all supposedly known for, don't we? Uh, you know, if you, if you come from Scotland or Yorkshire, you know, your, your pockets are sewn up and uh, no one can ever get in them. Well, we all know about all the old Irish jokes, but that's become very politically incorrect now to tell Irish jokes, but secretly they still happen, I'm sure. And we English, apparently, we're, we're, we're the stiff upper lippers, aren't we? Ah, my upper lip isn't very stiff, actually, but that's what we're supposedly known for, and so it goes on. And uh, in most parts of the world, every nation has another nation that they poke fun at. I'm sure the Romanians do. Uh, so it goes on. But of course, the, what we discover in, in this letter is actually the things that are being saying about, said about the people on the island of Crete, it's absolutely true. They, they really are like that. And these false teachers are coming in and, and they're, they're, making the best, they're making the best of that. Uh, and they're using these natural weaknesses in the people, it would seem, to get their own way. So we need to be very careful. But the method of these people is to, is to gather groups of supporters around them. They look out for those who are open to what they have to say. And they befriend them. And they, they gather around them a group of people who think they're just wonderful. This is what this church has needed for years, they say. When the reality is that this is the last thing the church needs. But that's what people are saying. This is what we've been waiting for. And now these false teachers have people in the church who are going to defend them, who will stand up for them. They'll promote them. They will further their cause as well. And we see in this letter, whole households have fallen for this. Now, by whole households, it could mean churches that meet in households because in New Testament days, most churches met in people's homes. Or perhaps it just means literal families 
Often it was ex large extended families all living together. Well, it could be either, it could be both. But the, these people are falling for these false teachers and these false teachers are gaining supporters around them. Uh, people who will stand up for them within the life of the church. People who've fallen for their lies and for their deception, hook, line and sinker. This is the method of those who will come into churches in order to subvert and to try and change things. So beware. And we also find out what their message is. What's their message? Well, their message is one of deception. They're deceivers. That's also in verse 10. And they have their own additions to the true faith and doctrine. See that in verse 14. People are giving heed to Jewish fables, commandments of men. They're bringing in additional things into the church. Now, it's very clear, isn't it, that um, the problem in Crete is largely with false teachers who come from a Jewish background. Those of the circumcision. Verse 10. Jewish fables and commandments of men. Verse 14. And of course we know that there was a great deal of tension for many, many years in churches between Gentile believers and Jewish believers. And especially Jewish believers who were finding it very, very hard to completely let go of all the Old Testament things that they're supposed to now let go of because they're in Christ. And this seems to be another group of that type on the island of Crete. And the, the whole problem with this is it's the gospel plus syndrome that, that takes all, all kinds of shapes. You need this as well as the gospel of Christ. You need the gospel plus circumcision. You need the gospel, well, perhaps they felt that all Christians should still live by the Old Testament food laws, for example. So you need the gospel plus the food laws. In our own day, you need the gospel plus the second blessing. You need the gospel plus the new revelation that today's apostles are bringing you. You need the gospel plus speaking in tongues. You need the gospel plus a rock band, a lighting rig and smoke machines. The gospel plus. Now that basically was the problem in Crete. The gospel of Christ in its entirety on its own is not sufficient, these false teachers are saying. You've got to have this as well. And there have been all manner of this as well in the centuries since, but the basic issue is the same one. It's the gospel plus. The problem with the gospel plus is that the plus never adds anything to the gospel. In fact, it takes away. The gospel plus never makes the gospel bigger and better. For one thing, you can't make the gospel any bigger or better than it already is. 
And the gospel plus doesn't make the gospel bigger or better. It ceases to be the gospel. That's the issue. And this explains verse 15, which some of you might have wondered, what on earth is Paul talking about? How does that fit in? To the pure, all things are pure, but to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. Well, you see, this is a gospel plus message that's being preached by these false teachers. And they're telling church members that if you only have this thing, but you don't also have that thing, then you're missing out and you're not there yet. This thing that you lack, you must have. And in this thing, this additional thing to the gospel, there is a righteousness and a holiness that you currently do not have. So you need to add this. Or they may be saying, this thing that you currently have, you need to do away with it. Because in doing away with that thing, you'll discover a level of spirituality or holiness that you're currently missing out on. These false teachers are all about demands regarding external or additional things to the gospel. No, says Paul, no. Just as God showed Peter in that vision that he had, that now for the Christian, even a Jewish Christian, all foods are now clean if God has declared them to be clean. So for the Christian, all things are pure. That's not to say that sinful things are pure. It obviously doesn't mean that. It's not suggesting that Christians can do sinful things and that somehow, because they're a Christian, they don't, they're not sinful anymore somehow. That's not what's being said. Other things which are said to make a difference don't make any difference at all. Religion is all about issues of the heart and of the new birth in Christ Jesus. And once you've been cleansed and forgiven, whether you do or don't have this or that is irrelevant. Because all things are pure. You can live with that thing, you can live without that thing. As a Christian, it makes no difference. Because unless it is something which is obviously sinful, you can give and take on that issue. You're at liberty as a Christian. Have it in your life, don't have it in your life. It makes no difference to holiness or righteousness. All things are pure. But for these people who are peddling these lies, they're saying, ah, ah, no, 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 no. This, this, this is pure. This is righteousness. That over there, no, 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 no. No, not that, no, this. And it's all about external things. It's all about commandments of men. No, says Paul, these are deceptions, these are lies. Uh, these have no place in your life 
It's all defilement. It has no place in the church. Purity and holiness of life is purely and entirely down to the work of God in Christ Jesus and by his Holy Spirit in your life as one who has repented of your sins and is born again. And that's the gospel that's under threat with these false teachers. The other thing that we learn about these false teachers is their motive. Their motive. Not a lot is said, but what is said is sufficient. For the sake of dishonest gain. The end of verse 11. Their motive dishonest gain they're in it for themselves for whatever they can get out of it for themselves now when we think of dishonest gain we probably automatically find ourselves thinking of financial gain money and for some it's true that's what it is all about these things are very prominent in the USA but they're by no means exclusive to the USA by any means but if, if you've had a look at some of the popular TV preachers in the USA and then have a look at their lifestyles and their vast, vast, vast wealth. I mean, I'm talking millions and millions and millions of dollars. In some case, it's billions of dollars. It's just simply staggering. And let me tell you, it is dishonest gain. Their excuse, this is the sign that God is blessing my ministry. Do not listen to a word of it. It is dishonest gain. This is the sign of their personal greed. This is the sign of their own lust for money. Short and simple. Read through those texts I gave you this morning on elders. Their character. What they are to do in a church. How they are to do it. Willingly. As honest labourers fleecing the flock for dishonest gain is not part of that their works deny them their works deny Christ their multi-million dollar mansions and estates deny him because a true servant of Christ doesn't build for himself or herself those kinds of treasures on earth. They just don't do it. And don't anyone please try to come to me at the end of the service and say I'm being very unkind and try to defend them. They are indefensible. It just does not happen amongst the Lord's people. It's dishonest gain, short and simple. But as we've seen in the scriptures, many, many are taken in by them. And they are. Many are deceived by them. And they are. Many 
choose to follow them. And they do. And it's all here for us in the Bible. Now, this dishonest gain, for some, it's at a much lower level, isn't it? It's just at local church level. And for them, the dishonest gain, well, it's just about having influence and popularity within the church. That too is a form of dishonest gain. Just so that people like me more and I can do my stuff. And the words that are used, they're pretty strong, aren't they? Abominable, disobedient, disqualified for every good work. Now that resonates with Ephesians chapter 2, doesn't it? That those of you in Christ who've come to Christ, uh, you've had that happen to you because there are good works that God beforehand has prepared for you to do. But these, Paul says, are disqualified for good works. Strong, strong language. They're imposters. And left unchecked, what they're actually doing is the work of Satan in the name of Christ. So, false teachers, the elders' response. What are the elders to do? These elders who've been appointed in these churches that have all of this going on, what are they to do? Well, let me tell you what they're not to do. They're not to say to these people, let's sit down and discuss this because there's nothing to be discussed. What they don't do is put their arm around their shoulders and say, well, you know, this really isn't how we do things around here, but we can see that some of the people like it, so we'll let you have one Sunday a month. That's not what you do. Well, the first thing the elders do is they start to teach, verse 9, sound Doctrine, the truth, the truth, God's truth, God's word. They start to teach the truth because the truth will begin to show these people up for who they are. And they're to exhort and they're to convict them. They're to convict them of their sin. They are to silence them. They are to stop their mouths. The elders are to say to these people, you, come here. Quiet. No more. From right now, you do not say a word to anyone else in this church. And if you can't do that, go. It's that much of an issue. That's what Paul is saying to Titus. That's what you've got to do. They are to be stopped. You don't pander to them. You don't put up with them. You don't humour them. You silence them. You don't say a word in this church. Ever. Be quiet. It's that big an issue. And it's that strong a language that Paul is using to Titus. And if they refuse to respond, chapter 3 verse 10, throw them out. <coughs> Throw them out. It's tough. It's harsh. It's got to be. This is the church. It's strong stuff. There are times and places and people and circumstances when only strong words will suffice. But it's still God's word that leads and guides and directs in all of these things. 
I'm going to close with a story. I read about this during the week. It's a book written by an American, so it's about an American pastor who was to go away for some time. And he'd arranged for a visiting preacher to come and preach in his church while he was absent, several Sundays. And the man who we'd asked to preach, no, no, no names or names, so I can't tell you even if I wanted to, but the man who'd been invited to preach was quite an eminent preacher. He was really well known. He was one of those men who, as he gets onto the platform, the pulpit in the eyes and minds of the people turns into a pedestal. Have you heard who's coming to preach while pastor's away? And the pastor was quite assured in his own heart that everything's going to be great. So-and-so's coming to preach. But everything wasn't great. Because unknown to the pastor, this visiting preacher, when he came, he started preaching the gospel plus. And he started to talk about American history and politics. And he started to tell these people, if you're a Christian, you can only ever support this political party. And if you're a Christian who says you support that political party, you've got to question whether you're a Christian at all. So the gospel he was preaching was the gospel plus supporting this political party. And the pastor came back and he found his church in disarray and in division and total chaos what would you do I'll tell you what the pastor did and I think he was absolutely right to do it he wrote a letter to that famous preacher it was a very strongly worded letter it was a sharp rebuke to use the words of Titus Paul to Titus it was a sharp rebuke to him. And he laid out before him with the scriptures why he was wrong to say what he'd said. And in no uncertain terms, he rebuked that man. And he sent him the letter. And he gave a copy of the letter to every single member of his church. The following week, one member was quite irate about what the pastor had done. The pastor put it like this. We're in America, they have these things over there. Have you ever seen a mother bear and how she behaves when a mountain lion goes after her cubs? You're my cubs. I'm that mother bear. 